Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we'll be talking project management and change management today. Before we jump into the show, just want to remind everybody and encourage you to go out to uh, the PMO Impact Summit. That free event is coming up on September 20th through the 24th. You can visit PMOImpactSummit.com to sign up for that. Uh, This is, I don't think, maybe the fourth or fifth year of the conference. It is a fantastic conference. Laura Bernard does an amazing job with her team to get a great lineup of presenters and speakers. This year, they have a a wide range of topics included, uh, agile, executive perspective, future readiness, leadership, organizational change management, PMO startups, project portfolio management, resource and stakeholder management, and strategy. Uh, So if any of you listeners out there are interested in any or all of those categories, I highly encourage you to go out and uh, register. I personally have a session uh, where Laura and I actually have an interview-type discussion about stakeholder engagement and stakeholder management. So uh, looking forward to talk to all of you out there on that. Again, that's September 20th through 24th, and you can go to PMOImpactSummit.com to register for that event for free. I also want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. This is a, a reminder as well for everybody to head out to projectmanagementofficehours.com or Apple Podcasts, whatever your platform is. See all of our past shows uh, and also get to know what upcoming episodes we have with amazing leaders from around the world. So that is it for now. I did mention change management a couple times on that intro. And with that, I want to say I'm very excited today to have Tim Creasy joining us. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here uh, this afternoon in Boise, Idaho. Yes, slightly uh, slightly before that here in Arizona. We're still in the morning time. But Tim, if you could take a, a moment just to say hello to everybody and introduce yourself so we can get to know you a little bit better before we jump in with some discussion. Very good. Well, yeah, I'm Tim Creasy, Chief Innovation Officer at ProSci. So I start with what ProSci is. We're a firm dedicated to help organizations achieve more successful outcomes in times of change, with the realization that helping our people adopt and use change is probably the biggest place we see leakage of overall project value. So that's as a firm, we help individuals and organizations build change capability to achieve successful outcomes. My role is as Chief Innovation Officer, so I've really steered the innovation and research and thought leadership for the last two decades here at ProSci whether that's solutions for change management practitioners, for senior leaders to become better leaders of change, people managers to step into their critical role, even the project manager community, right, to become those uh, partners and allies we need to drive more successful outcomes. So that's who we serve. And, uh, you know, my personal aha is to help people see change, the challenges of change as unlockable. 
Because, you know, most of the time, I think we have the answers within. It's around how do we see the challenges in front of us as something that we can unlock. And taking the human side of change, demystifying it, taking it out of the psychologist's couch and making it something actionable that we can intentionally, you know, do on purpose to drive the outcomes in our organization. Uh, that's really what we're, we're all about. I love it. And uh, I always try to get to know our guests a little bit better before we do the show so it doesn't sound like just a stuffy interview because those are boring and I don't think anybody loves those. So as uh, Tim and I got to know each other a little bit better, we uh, have some some common bonds over this year. It's turning into an agony of the Boston Red Sox collapsing season. Now with COVID, right, we're all been impacted by COVID. We're seeing the impacts of that in the Boston Red Sox right now. Tim, what's your What's your thoughts on the Sox these days? The, the Sox. So, Joe, I grew up in Colorado and we didn't have baseball. You know, the Rockies only came when I was in high school. And one of my first jobs was actually as the radio board guy that ran the commercials uh, in between innings. So I never had a baseball team. So my wife and I moved to Boston from 2003 to 2005 uh, for me to do my MBA there. Uh and if you could pick two years to live in Boston, those would be the two years. I mean, we arrived to uh, Pedro getting left in too long and Boone going yard <laughs> in the seventh in game seven of that year, then a Patriots Super Bowl, then the World Series, then another Patriots Super Bowl. Uh, so it was a magical time. I, I realized that I was a uh, bandwagon fan, right? Someone who just got into the, you couldn't not get into it while you yeah. were there, right? Uh, especially that magical 2004 season. But uh, we're standing in the bar, they've won, and I'm jumping up and down with my hands going above my head, you know. This is when I realized I was the bandwagon fan. As I looked over and I see a 24-year-old guy with tears pouring down his face <laughs> on his phone with his grandpa. And I look over across the bar over there and I see a 65-year-old man with tears pouring down his cheeks on the phone with his son. And so I realized I was along for the fun ride, not the 86 years of misery, but it was certainly a wonderful uh, town to be a part of. And now they just kind of win every other year. So uh, kind of got used to it there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I grew up in upstate New York, the Albany, New York area. So for us, it was Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, right? We're, we're the, really the choice or Expos, I guess, even at that point. But uh, so I was a Sox fan and I was one of those guys with tears rolling down their face, right? I had lived the agony. I've been to Fenway, I don't know, maybe a hundred different times. And uh, remember 86 when, you know, the ball gets through Bill Buckner's legs when I, when I thought we were going to win that one. And the highs and lows of cheering for sports teams, right? For sure. Well, I was actually sitting in the Boston Beer Works right across the street from Fenway uh, for game four of that ALCS when uh, Poppy went yard right after the uh, steal of second base. So magical times for sure. Absolutely. And growing up in Colorado, the three most important sports teams for me were the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos, and the Denver Broncos. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where I sit. For the yeah, that, I love the Broncos. I was uh, a Steelers fan, well, still a Steelers fan, and, and Broncos were always my number two. They seemed like the West Coast version of the Steelers back yeah, in the, the 70s and 80s. For sure. Um, so, you know, I, it was weird today on, uh, LinkedIn pro had posted about the show and, and I was like, man, I got to comment on this. What am I going to say about the show? And, and I put in there, it said, uh, you know, project management and change management are like peanut butter and jelly. They're both great independently, but when you bring them together, it's just awesome. Right. So much better. Right. Yeah. And I think I love the frame, right. That they, uh, I'll give you a couple of turns of phrase that I've played with too. Um, one of them back in 2004, we started using, complementary disciplines with a common objective. Mm. You know, that they, they, they are complementary in nature in terms of as long as we align on the fact that we're both here to land this change to the best value to the organization. 
And if we agree that that's the flag on the horizon, change management and project management are expected allies, expected collaborators kind of in that journey. And uh, Graham Bullen, he's one of the master instructors at ProSci Canada. He introduced me to this turn of phrase that he created earlier this year that I just love, that project management prepares the solution for the organization. Change management prepares the organization for the solution. Oh, I like that one. Uh, and just like you said, you know, a peanut butter sandwich or a jelly sandwich, you know, it's all right. But it's when we bring the two together that we actually enable the organization to manage the two sides of every change, the technical side and the people side. So. Yeah. And the reality is, by definition, right, a project is a unique endeavor that's causing change in an organization. How, how big or small that change is, of course, depends on the project. But it, every project has change. Therefore, our discipline, the project management discipline, would benefit greatly if we could understand change better, the impacts of it, how to manage it, how to help teams adopt to it. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think you're spot on. We've used the language about the difference between a project challenge and an adoption challenge. Because I think you're right, Joe, and and a lot of this has happened over the last 20 years that we've started to appreciate that because I said so isn't enough to get a change to take place in an organization. Right. Um, And those old value systems of control, predictability, accountability, you know, my grandfather's GE that he started and retired from, those value systems might have reinforced that how high was the right answer. Um, but times have changed. And the more we empower employees to own their work and to own the outputs of their work, the more we encourage them to take accountability and be involved, uh, we have a different uh, obligation to them in times of change. Uh, instead of just saying, uh, you know, instead of expecting how high is the answer, our job is to prepare, equip, and support them through the journey we know that they're going to have as an individual. Um, And I think it was um, with Stuart Easton, uh, the episode you did with him, where you're talking about the real value. What are we actually trying to achieve or deliver Mm -hmm. from our projects and initiatives? And I think you guys use the cloud-based CRM system as an example. And I think that's a beautiful example of translating the project challenge into the adoption challenge, right? The project challenge is rolling out a cloud-based CRM system. The adoption challenge shows up in how my salespeople arrive each and every day and how customer service executes their job. And so it's above and beyond a stakeholder mapping. It truly gets into defining what does this change, this project mean to Andy, Becky, Charlie, Debbie, Eddie, Franny, Jerry, Harry, Izzy. Those are all alphabetical. I don't know if you got that. I, I always thought it was so clever and no one else has ever thought it was clever. But I was, I was waiting to see where you're going after Izzy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I drop off. But uh, Andy, Becky, Charlie, Debbie, I've been talking about them for over 10 years because Andy, Becky, Charlie, Debbie is how changes actually come to life in the organization. Uh, and so this allyship partnership of project management and change management is about Achieving successful outcomes by tending to, yeah, those two critical sides of the coin. Here's the thing, Joe. Uh, You know, the people side of change, it's there whether you pay attention to it or not. Right. Just like you said, there is always going to be a people side of change, whether we're tending to it, providing thought and intent and structure and purpose, or are we leaving the people side of change up to chance, which uh, I think is kind of the historic. uh, approach that we're stepping out of. You know, when you're rattling off the people, I'm surprised you didn't go Andy, Debbie, Kevin, Alice, Roger to, to give us some ad car, 
right? Give I mean, us some ad car. Yeah. yeah, I went alphabetically, <laughs> and I have a friend whose daughter, Alexandra. She's always disappointed I don't mention Alexandra. So if Nisha's listening, we'll do Alexandra, Becky, Charlie, Debbie. <laughs> Another thing we have in common, you mentioned uh, your grandfather at GE, uh, coming from the Albany, New York area. Actually, Schenectady, uh, that's the birthplace of GE. So all of my dad and uncles and grandparents and everybody was a GE. So I'm a GE kid. Uh, that's, uh, obviously branched away from that and traveled around, uh, to get away from the GE mindset. Hey, nothing wrong with GE, but the reality is they've struggled over the past decade, right? Because a lot of change management activities that they haven't been able to handle too well. Yeah. Change, you know, there's an article we've used in our training programs for years that comments on the number one reason leaders get fired. And we always think it's not hitting financial marks, but when they actually survey board members, it's failing to implement the changes we need to implement in the organization. You know, that is what we charge, that's what we pay and charge our leaders to do is to shape the organization and help lead it into uh, what we envision it could be. And right out of that falls projects, change, and the adoption and usage of the solutions we come up with. Because yeah, the change landscape is littered by projects that were designed on, delivered, you know, designed to meet requirements, delivered on time, on budget, and created zero value to the organization. And most of the time, and here's the problem, Joe, it didn't actually create zero value to the organization because we spent all the money and time right. trying to build that solution. Negative value, right? yeah. We're talking about a huge net opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. And because we thought people, we could just tell people to change, uh, we, we left all of the value in the project setting there, uh, setting there to chance. So even when we talk about the ROI of change management, Joe, we talk about it within the context of the ROI of the project. Mm-hmm. And so we ask this question, we call it the key question. What percentage of this project's ROI depends on people adopting and using the solution? What percentage of this project ROI depends on people showing up in a new way? Yeah. And then I offer up sometimes what I call the punch in the gut question behind that, which is what percentage of our budget, resources, mindshare are we actually dedicating to helping people adopt and use the solution? And how much of it are we putting into designing the technical solution? And we see this huge disconnect between how critically important adoption and usage is and how little we tend to it now. That tide is turning over the last two years, right? As we respond to the pandemic, we're seeing a hugely people-dependent portfolio of change that organizations are bringing forward. So, so let's before we get too deep into this, because I, I see where we're headed and I love where we're headed, but some setting some baseline definitions, right? Because in project management, change management as a term can have multiple definitions, right? There's change management, like a change request that we're going to change the scope of the project, organizational change management, change in the sense of transformation. We're going from old to new. So lay some pavement for us here on on definitions of change and change management to make sure we're all thinking the same way. Yeah. And I would add in a coin purse (laughs) as another change (laughs) management technique, right? Yeah. Yeah. the, The phrase has been used a lot of different ways. And so I tend to try to anchor to what we deliver, not necessarily what we do. So if what we do is the discipline of change management, and there's process and tool there, what we deliver is employee adoption and usage to drive successful outcomes and change. And so mm-hmm. that's when we talk about the way we anchor change management is to adoption and usage of change. Typically, Joe, I'll also introduce 
I, I did some writing and I never published it, but I'm tempted to pull it forward about how human beings need context and contrast to make sense of anything. Mm -hmm. context and contrast. So context is how does this relate to the stuff around it? Contrast is how are these things similar or different? Mm -hmm. And so usually if I'm asked to define change management, I request the liberty to define change leadership and project management as well, because all those three moving parts are critically connected. So I define change leadership is deciding where to go and how to get there. And to me, this tips into the whole strategic prioritization, the conversations you're having in some of your, your recent episodes. Yeah. Project management is building what we need to get there. Mm-hmm. And it could be a physical thing like a product or a piece of hardware. It could be a piece of software. It could be processes that we're building, right? Sure. Yeah. But project management, so deciding where to go and get there is change leadership. Building what we need to get there is project management. Helping our people get there too is change management. And so... Any successful initiative needs all three of those components, direction and guidance, a technical solution that meets the needs or issue or opportunity in front of us, and a people side solution that helps our employees embrace, adopt, and use the solution we put in front of them. So yeah, I love that's the, how I kind of tee up those three. Yeah, I love the, the context of that, right? That helps understand it. And for the PMO difference, right? Because PMOs versus project management, the PMO needs to ensure that all three of those are being brought together. Whereas the project manager, right, is the the middle one you had mentioned. We often try to equate PMO and project management into one, but the the PMO really encompasses all three in that example. So I love uh, how you laid that out. Very easy to follow along with all that. And actually, in our research, within the PMO is the most likely location for a change management office. You know, we see about 40% of our study participants have created a structural, functional group that's focused on change management. Uh, and most often, it actually, it starts a lot in HR, but within the PMO is one of the most common places, and it's where people tell us it should live, um, because you're able to connect the technical and people sides from where um, that priority is being evaluated, strategized, you know, stacked, ranked, and uh, executed out of. So. And that, it's also now the, the front end of that, right? We're seeing SROs, the Strategy Realization Office. And, and I've always argued, well, a, the good PMOs take all three items you mentioned, and that's the scope of the PMO. We don't need, uh, we certainly need discipline and expertise within those three spots, but we don't have to have three different functions trying to function, uh, you know, collaboratively or integrated or together. It's, um, so it's, it's an evolving space that we're in right now. I think companies are trying to figure out how to do all of this right now. Absolutely. I think it's a leadership governance challenge here Mm -hmm. in terms of what we define the finish line as. Yeah. Because if I define the finish line as on time, on budget, meeting technical requirements, uh, my PMO might not extend to think about strategy realization and the people side of change. When we define the finish line as delivering the expected improvement to the organization through this effort, then I start that I think you've created that platform for a, an, an, I would say, enlightened PMO, like you described it, to really lean into the people side and the change leadership components. Um, I was working with a client down in Australia that actually created a benefit realization office as well, mm-hmm. which I think will be an interesting another interesting way for this discipline to start to go. And it actually lived between the PMO and the business, the organization, um, to pick up the solution the PMO had generated and help do some of that translation into operations 
that can sometimes get lost uh, when we get too obsessed with the technical side of the coin and we forget about that people side of the coin. Yeah, and that's that kind of definition up front, the finish line, that's where um, with our the PMO squad, we use purpose-driven PMO. That's our approach that we use. Because if we try to say all PMOs are created equal for the same reason, it's foolish, right? That's not going to be. So if we start with why do we exist, right? What's our finish line? Then we can handle everything that comes after it. Absolutely. But, but too often today we see PMO leaders going from company to company trying to implement the same PMO in multiple organizations and they don't exist the way they need to. And I, I think it was either you and David or you and Stuart that were talking about that purpose component. Uh, and it prompted me to think about this framework that I introduced a couple of years ago called a two-by purpose statement. Two-by. Um, so it's to achieve what by doing what. I like that. Say that again. To, to achieve what by doing what. So we yeah. call it a two-by purpose statement. And what what came out of the conversation, and again, I apologize, I can't remember what episode it was, but you all used, again, that CRM example. Installing the CRM solution is a buy. Mm -hmm. It is not a two. Right. Uh, And when you get a project team together that hasn't expanded kind of that strategic horizon, I guess, they can often define the to achieve what with the actual buys, right? They've taken all the by doing what's and put that into the twos. And so the two by purpose statement, I mean, I'll get a team together, get five people around a table, have them each write theirs, and then we'll like flash them up because it's really interesting, right? You can start to see where the intentionality is, where the focus is. And if we've started to create that value chain disconnect between the activities we think are important and truly what we've set out to achieve. Uh, so yeah, we and, and the neat thing about the two-by-purpose statement, right? I could write one for pro size and organization to enable our clients to achieve their desired outcomes and change by helping them build individual and organizational capabilities. Uh, I could write one for the discipline of change management to capture people-dependent project return on investment by preparing, equipping, and supporting our people through the changes they're experiencing. Uh, I have a thing called the ROI calculator that calculates the change, the ROI of change management or projects the ROI of change management on a project. I could write a two-by statement for that, right? To uh, build commitment and buy into the people side of change by quantifying its unique contribution to expected overall project outcome. Uh, I even wrote one for myself, like a personal one. Oh, nice. um, I published this on LinkedIn Pulse a while back, but yeah, my own personal two-by. And so we use them a lot. You know, Right now we're in the strategic planning process inside of ProSci. And we have written two-by statements for each of the three strategic initiatives, right? And then we've written, encouraged each uh, geographic market to write their own two-by and how they'll support it. Um, so it's kind of a fun way to start to anchor to that, you know, this whole idea of anchoring to the why, mm-hmm. heard you reference Cynics Golden Circle, Purpose Driven, you know, it's certainly in the air. Uh, and we found that the two-by purpose statement becomes a really fun kind of construct to anchor to. Yeah, I think that the other show <clears throat> you were referencing there was with Antonio Nieto Rodriguez. Oh, okay. Yeah, where we had talked about that. And we do a similar exercise, right? Where when a PMO squad goes out and works with organizations on purpose-driven PMO, we'll take the stakeholders in a room and independently ask them to write out the mission statement for the PMO. And then eight plus years, we've never had two executives give the exact same answer, right? Because that's never been defined. We're not aligned. And if you're not aligned at the beginning, there's it's hard to reach 
the same destination if you're not on the same journey, right? For sure. I'll do it around project outcomes as well. Sure. Particular project outcomes. Uh, And I heard, again, a story similar to this on one of your episodes, but I'm with a big pharma. We have a thing called the change scorecard. Uh, And the first sell is what are the results and outcomes we're trying to achieve from this project? And they were two years and $25 million in. Uh, I click into the cell. I said, okay, tell me what to type here. (laughs) And I like tapped the mic, right? Is this thing on? Um, You are two years and $25 million into this thing. Tell me what to write in terms of the results and outcomes we're trying to achieve. You know, we gravitated back to the buys of the solution. We could elevate it to to achieve what's. Um, And somebody pulled me aside and said, you know, Tim, Someone somewhere at some point in time could have answered that, but that evaporates over the life of the project. And so I think part of the project management office and the skilled project manager is retaining the why for changes, um, especially when things are changing so rapidly or when you know things last longer than we thought they might have. You know, you, you gave some techniques and tips there, which was awesome. We always love to get those for our audience to pull in. And I always wonder. You know, do the employees of McDonald's eat McDonald's? So do the employees of ProSci follow ProSci, right? Or are those just sharing items with the audience? Or do you internalize that and use that as well within the organization? No, it's a great, great question. You know, they, and I've seen it play out. We work with a lot. Of, I work with a lot of individuals in organizations that are working to build change management capability across mm-hmm. the organization. Sure. And it's amazing how quickly they'll forget everything they know about change management when the change they are working is building out a change management capability. I'll bet you you watch it with good project managers trying to stand up a PMO as well. Yeah. They get all caught up in the excitement of the effort and forget to actually manage it like a project because standing up a PMO is a project as well. So that whole notion of the cobbler's children that have no shoes or, you know, uh, I learned through our uh, partner in uh, Saudi Arabia that they're saying is the carpenter's door is hung crooked. Mm. Uh, So again, kind of that same context, right? If it's in your own backyard, you don't tend to it. Uh, It doesn't work that way at Prozai. If you ever want to be held to a very high bar in terms of ensuring that you built sufficient awareness of the need for change before you stepped into desire to participate and support the change, uh, certainly turn inside of Prozai, right? It's something, it's what we do every single day. The neat thing is, I think it's connected back to uh, our values as an organization. Uh, We did some really neat value work uh, at the beginning of this year, rolled out a refresh set of values. But the number one value that we have is impact. We have this statement. uh, It was painted up on the wall back at our old office. I have it on a in a picture frame next to me. It says, "We are proud of the people we are, the work we do, and the difference we make." Nice. Uh, and so that was up on the break room wall, right, in, in 18-inch tall letters. Uh, and it's really part of how we step into each and every day. Not only the work we do inside of ProSci, but what, the work we do with clients, especially. Um, but when you turn inside of ProSci and you try to make a change inside of ProSci, you have that notion of the impact, being proud of the impact I'm going to have, being cognizant of what does the adoption and usage side of this change look like? Now, do we do it right every time? Absolutely not. And yeah. uh, as we're, somebody we're people, who stands, right? Yeah. yeah, right. Who stands out at the front of innovation? I definitely have been. Uh, you know, one of my tongue-in-cheek jokes. Again, going back to context and contrast. You know, I always think I can explain change management to you for an hour, but if I can help you see bad change management, 
your ability to understand good change management goes up tremendously. Mm -hmm. And so I started using this tongue-in-cheek joke of the email on Monday for training on Tuesday for go live on Wednesday. (laughs) All right? That's not the way to prepare, equip, and support people through an important change we're asking them to make. Um, But it's pretty often the approach that's used. I've certainly been the proponent or the uh, cause of some of those changes inside of ProSci, but uh, we begin asking the question very early on, what's the problem we're trying to solve here and whose job will have to be done differently and how as we solve it. Uh, And so part of it's that mindset shift of what is the adoption challenge at the beginning of the change we're stepping into. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh, so I'm going to throw maybe a little bit of a curveball at you here, but I think fits the discussion. So we also run the PMO Leader site, and we have uh, a webinar on there recently with Michael DePrisco from uh, PMI. And the question came up about uh, PMI and ProSci and co-opetition, I think is what he called it. Uh, And somebody on the webinar audience had asked, Hey, you've PMI has done a lot with Agile, and and but is there any anything coming in the future with ProSci to kind of bring these two together in a more formal setting? So, is there any any breaking news? He didn't give an answer like an affirmative to that. He just said we work with a lot of partners and lots of things are always going on in the background. So, any breaking news that Tim has to share with us of anything uh, between PMI and ProSci? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, right, Joe? Because the relationship has been there for 16 years, right? When you, If you had taken our three-day program in 2004, you would have earned your PDUs for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we realized that uh, there is this... Um, once we realize we're all marching towards the same thing, which is more successful change, we can become great allies. Uh, so ProSci has always, you know, earned you your PDUs. Um, I've spoke at tons of PMI chapters. Uh, I've actually got one coming up here in a couple of weeks for PMI Delaware Valley, uh, where I'm going to do an, an part of their events. Spoke at many of the conferences. Going to be at the, v, is it VES? Virtual? Yeah. Yeah, the big PMI October VES session. So there'll be a, I'll I'll do a 45 minute talk about change management and project management and how they come together. I think um, it'll be fantastic as the two come together to create, I think there's two twofold advantage here, uh, Joe. One is creating a platform for better integration in projects. Mm -hmm. So on a particular initiative, how do we, if we were able to come together with uh, other project management uh, disciplines, can we form the platform for better integration of those those two pieces? And, and we do that with all the different project management approaches, right? We align ADCAR, ProSize Individual. Because that's the thing. Change management in the end is about helping an individual through their own successful change journey. So whether you're using lean or whatever solution approach you're using or even project management methodology you're using, I can align the individual milestones along your technical milestones so that we can increase the likelihood of delivering results and outcomes. So we adapt and adjust it to many of these different project management approaches. The better we can show how the technical and people sides come together on an initiative, the better integration we get of the disciplines in practice. The other thing that I think is really exciting is around this idea of you know, building multilingual change leaders, that the uh, change leaders of the future will be multilingual. And I don't just mean English and French. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will need to be able to speak the languages of change management, project management, knowledge management, um, you know, design thinking, uh, the, all of these improvement initiatives 
become languages that skilled leaders will need to at least become conversant in. And so as PMI and ProSci start to come together there, we create even, I think, greater educational opportunities for folks in, in, in both or either of those disciplines. Yeah, I was in a clubhouse room a couple of months back and somebody asked, should project managers become ProSci certified? Right. And, and that's just a big question, right? That, that it's a personal answer, I think. But ultimately, I was like, well, of course. I mean, what would be the downside of that? I mean, understanding the discipline of change as a project manager is such a complementary skill set that we often avoid, right? We think technical side of project management as opposed to the change and people side of it. Um, so, it, how would you have answered that question if you were in that chat room at that time? Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. The answer is, if you want to be one of these leaders of the future, you need to become multilingual in the capabilities and technologies that help organizations implement change. And so, to me, project management and change management are certainly very, uh, they're even better allies, I think, because neither of them prescribe the change that's needed. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting thing, right? That a lot of these improvement fads that we see uh, coming through organizations tend to prescribe a particular change to make, reduce deficiencies, reduce errors, um, migrate applications off-premises. Uh, whatever these, these waves are, they prescribe a particular change. Project management and change management are unique in that they both help us deliver those changes better uh, in a more effective, a, you know, more efficient way in the organization. And so I think that adaptability actually creates a really neat opportunity for these two to continue coming together. I'll tell you what, uh, if I look at job titles coming to my open enrollment programs, because each week I run, you know, seven to 15, probably open enrollment three-day programs where people can come gain their certification, project management job titles are the most frequent job titles I see uh, Mm -hmm. coming to my programs. Because I think, you know, change management has grown as a profession and a discipline. That's what's been happening over the last 20 years, informed by the ProSci research, really a formalization of the discipline. And now I think we're seeing it identified as an additional skill set or competency that a great business analyst should have in their back pocket, that a great project manager should have in their back pocket, uh, you know, that a great communication specialist or a great, great learning and development practitioner should have. So the, you want to hear a horrible joke? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I've told this, I told this on stage in front of 800 people and I always tell them it's going to crash when I tell it, but uh, you're supposed to you say, know, this is a great joke and it's going to, yeah, I don't want to set the wrong expectation. Um, uh, you know, atoms like in chemistry, A-T-O-M. Yeah. Uh, you know why you never trust an atom? No. Because they make up everything. Like <laughs> they make up everything. Right. Uh, and in the same way, human beings make up everything. And, you know, human beings are what make up our organizations. So when we implement a change, the better we help our people through that change, the more successful we're going to be. Um, and anything that's going to help us do that better, you know. I often get the question, Joe, I wonder if you get this, you know, can a person be both the project manager and the change manager on an initiative? Is that a question that you hear? Yeah, I, I mean, we get that all the time. We'll even get why isn't the project manager the change manager? Um, and, and it's an expectation a lot because we're consulting firms. So we go out to clients and you know, their expectation is they're buying the resource that can do all of it. They can do the resource gather requirements, gathering the project leadership, the change management. And like, it's a lot of different disciplines, right? You don't 
as you hire separate subcontractors building a house, or you don't ask the plumber to wire the electricity, and and that's what they do in the project space, right? It's I just don't think organizations have matured their understanding enough yet of those separate disciplines to know the importance of having separate people in those roles. Yeah, it's kind of like a high because I think they're hiring the outcome, right? Right. They're hiring for change success, mm-hmm. and then expecting that you're going to bring whatever it takes to make make that up. But I think you're right that these parts like project management and change management are integrated in action, but there are are specialties, mindsets, skill sets, competencies um, that are separate. I'll tend to answer the question two ways, metaphysically and practically. Um, Practically is, does somebody have the number of hours it takes to address both the technical and the people sides of the change? And some small changes, that might be the case. Others, certainly not the case. Mm-hmm. Metaphysically is, can somebody have the mindset and competencies to be good at both? Um, and I think that's kind of a mixed bag. I've seen some people that absolutely have both of those competencies. And I've seen great change managers that would never, well, you never want them managing a project. And great project managers that just don't aren't wired the way to... Um, to be great at change management. I think that the same thing will happen when we move from traditional to more sequential or more sequential traditional project management approaches to more iterative agile project management approaches. I think we'll start to see some of those interesting underlying almost like personality trait wirings that might, you know, uh, run into some opposition as we change how we do change. Yeah. We've had some shows with, uh, Ruth Pierce and Stephen Fulmer and Carol Osterweil and Josh Ramirez, right, where we talk about some of those neuroscience components to the project management discipline and knowing your character strengths and being able to to motivate teams to action, flight versus fight, all of those come into play on all this. And, you know, I'd even take it one step further than what you said. I think there's a lot of PMs out there that don't have either, right? We talked about one or the other, right? But I think certifications have caused people to think that you're a project manager because of a certificate as opposed to, I I could be without a certificate in my entire life. I just run as a project manager because that's how I'm wired, right? I'm not a singer. You know, I'm not a musician. I'm not an artist. I can't draw, but you know what? I can run projects because that's just the way my brain works. How do you see that playing in the the pro-sci space, right, of certifications, but not having the competency to go after, like, is, is because I'm not as familiar, right, being completely open with yeah, ProSci yeah. certifications as I am the project management ones. So I see a lot of PMPs who aren't great project managers. Do you see that in your space as well? Yeah, I think certainly. I mean, this is part of the conversation we see in particular. You know, you'll see it in the social media space. Um, and I think there's kind of three different pieces, right? Uh, there's, well, we'll start with two. Certification, uh, it's binary, right? Zero or one, had you achieved it or not by accomplishing whatever the requirements were for it. Yeah. Uh, how good are you at it is a different question. Absolutely. Um, a driver's license doesn't mean you can go drive a race car, uh, right? <laughs> Luckily. Those are two different things. And so I think one of them, I think, is part of this. Who's the anonymous army that says, that's thinking that, you know? Because uh, I've we run into this conversation with the change management folks. Like, oh, people think that if you have a certification, you're a great project manager or a great change manager. I'm like, who? What people? Because right. none of the people that take the class have ever conveyed that to me. If a hiring manager ever were to tell me because they have the paper, they're qualified. I mean, 
we've got different conversations we need to be having there. So um, now I do think there is value in building common language and common a shared understanding, right? Absolutely. So, you know, it's one thing to say, I can be good at project management without the certification. But if I'm in a room with six other folks and we all need to at least have a shared structured set of understanding, set of language, mm-hmm. um, that's where I think sometimes you get these folks that say, I've got 40 years. I don't need the paper. The paper is not to say, are you good at what you're doing or not? The paper is to say, do you have the knowledge and skills to be able to engage the knowledge to be able to engage with these other folks who are also doing the same thing? So, you know, a vision held by one is valuable to none. That's true in businesses. Um, uh, but it's also true in this notion of, you know, if you have the vision of how to lead a project more successfully and you're the only one that has it, it's really not all that valuable if there's a bunch of us that are trying to to get somewhere together. So. No, I like it. Yeah, the paper practice is a big conversation we see. A, a few moments ago, you had mentioned research uh, in one of your answers. And so, you know, the the other thing I always get in conversations with people, you know, the the they type conversations again is, how do they know? It's all just BS, right? What's where's the proof, right? Where's the backup for what they're trying to sell? Not specific to ProSci, but in general, right? That's out there. So let me throw it back in a ProSci context, right? All of these concepts make sense to me, but what's what's the historical context or research context for that? Yeah, great question. So ProSci was founded by an engineer. He came, he was running these huge, massive process transformation projects. Uh, and he kept realizing that no matter how beautiful he designed the process, if people didn't follow it, he wasn't creating any value out of the project. And so Jeff Hyatt was his name, uh, again, a curious engineer that started to ask the question, why do some projects deliver outcomes and others don't? Mm-hmm. That's the fundamental foundational question, right, uh, that Jeff began asking. Uh, And then we began asking and answering that question uh, across a whole variety of different topics. Um, I will definitely tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big relativist. I don't know that there's right and wrong ways to manage the people side of change at a, for a large project in an organization. The human, human beings are way too beautifully complex to say there's a right and a wrong, but there's better and worse ways. And so that's what we've aimed to do in building this body of knowledge around change management. And so I'll give you an example. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've ever watched a sponsor make on a project? I, I thought it was ignoring it, right? It's to me, is the, yeah. yeah, so they just completely ignored it. So yeah. I could ask one person that question and I'd get a good data point. I'd get a good story from you, especially if we were drinking bourbon, right? Yeah. Um, I could ask 10 people that question, start to see a couple of emerging themes, right? I could ask 50 people that question and start to see some significant patterns uh, manifest themselves. And we've asked that question to 8,000 people over the last two decades. But in a particular study, I might ask 400 people that question. I do the analysis and discernment and I come out with, here's the seven biggest mistakes sponsors make in times of change. Uh, are, is your sponsor definitely going to make one of those? I'm not going to put any money on that. Can your sponsor find another way to mess this up that's not on one of those seven? Absolutely guaranteed. (laughs) But those seven help us understand how we can nudge the people side of change and our leaders forward to becoming more effective sponsors. 
the wild thing is if we look at the back end of the data, Joe, the more effectively we engage our people, the more effectively we apply change management, the more likely the project is to deliver results. And again, we've got about 6,000 data points that show a six-fold increase when we go from poor change management on an initiative to excellent change management in terms of likelihood of delivering the project objectives. And we get a threefold increase when we go from poor to fair because there is so much poorly managed change going on out there. So yeah, we've got you know the correlative data. We have clients that will do analysis inside their portfolio of change. They'll do a best practice audit score for change management on each project, plus a realization of expected ROI on each project. Stack those side by side and you start to see the correlations. The crazy thing, Joe, is that once somebody experiences a project where the people side of change is done with intent, uh, with structure, that we begin by answering why, why now, what if we don't, that we have our senior leaders fulfilling the role of active invisible sponsorship, that we got our people managers on board ahead of time and prepped to not only be recipients of, but agents of change. And when we communicate openly and honestly, uh, we know that this creates the conditions in which projects are more successful. Yeah, I can speak from personal experience. The last project I ever ran before I became the PMO manager for the first time, I, I ended up becoming employee of the year for that company, got the, the fancy trip, got to go along with all the sales guys. And we purposely, intentionally included change management on the project being executed by somebody other than me, right? We, right. we brought on a resource to do that. So that was a long time ago before there was any gray hair in my beard and I had <laughs> hair. Uh, so that's, that's, so I believe it, man. I, I, for me, it's personal experience, right? It's this, the great teacher and, and I've witnessed it. So that's fantastic. And so, I think, you know, back, circling back to the CMROI piece, it's about delivering what you signed up to deliver faster and more completely than you thought you were going to. Uh, and so just simply starting to ask that question, what percentage of this, of this project's ROI depends on people and what are we doing to help them? Uh, changes that, uh, changes that. It's that a great landscape. frame, right? It's a great reference point to get everybody focused on. Uh, we, we had a guest on, uh, she's actually been on a couple of times, Jessica Kuhn from Make-A-Wish America. And uh, I got into ADCAR with her to have her describe how they utilize it. And uh, But heck, she wasn't the CIO, Chief in Innovation Officer at ProSci to describe it. So I've got you now. I hope the audience understand ADCAR a little bit better and, and what that's all about. Yeah, very good, Joe. So ADCAR is that individual change model invented by Jeff Hyatt, our founder. Uh, it describes the five building blocks of successful individual change. So whether it's getting your kid to clean up their room, getting a neighbor to clean up their yard, uh, supporting that local charity that you're involved with, or getting your people to start using teams more effectively. Individuals go through these five building blocks. The first is awareness of the need for change. Notice that it's not awareness that the change is happening. It's awareness of the need for change. It's an internalization of why, why now, what if we don't? And if we can help a person get sufficient awareness, they say to us, I understand why. That's the milestone marker. Mm -hmm. I understand why. After that comes desire to participate and support the change. That's the personal decision to step out of your current state, to step into that transition, and to step toward that future state that we're moving toward. 
Uh, we all know human beings have free will, so we can't make desire, but we can nudge desire. And we know that there are personal motivators, organizational motivators, and in particular, the answer to what's in it for me. With them, we call that. If a person achieves sufficient desire, they would say, I've decided to. So I understand why I've decided to. The third building block is knowledge. I know how to. Those are the skills uh, that we need to be able to make the change, both during the change and after the change. Knowledge is where we all jump to, right, Joe? Absolutely. We've got a training. Uh, We got a change. We need some people to do something different. What do we do? Send them to training. We want to become agile. What do we do? Send everybody to scrum training. Uh, Jumping straight to knowledge without helping the person say, I understand why and I've decided to, is going to be wasted knowledge efforts. So awareness, desire, knowledge. The fourth is ability. I am able to. Mm -hmm. So I understand why. I've decided to. I know how to. I am able to. And that's when the change has come to life in the processes, skills, interactions, the way that person shows up. Uh, it's the demonstrated capability to do my job the new way as required by this, this project or this initiative. Uh, and the gap between knowledge and ability can be small or large, right? Uh, knowledge and ability are two very different things. And if you go play one hole of golf with me, you'll <laughs> see the difference. Because I know to keep my head down. Like, I know I'm supposed to keep my head down, but uh, that's not the way I play golf. (laughs) Uh, And then ProSci would be a complete failure as an organization if Jeff had invented the ADCA model and left off that R. The R is reinforcement. Mm. Now, unfortunately, in a lot of our projects, we leave off that R. We kind of forget about the reinforcement, but it is our natural physiological, psychological tendency to go back to the way we used to do things. So if we want a change to stick, we need to make sure that we're intentional about it. Those mechanisms, the measures, the reinforcement to sustain the change. So I understand why I've decided to, I know how to, I'm able to, and I'll continue to. So awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, reinforcement. And uh, on YouTube, the ProSci YouTube channel, there's a whole section called Tim Talks. There are these fun little five-minute videos of people interviewing me, and there's one that's all about ADCAR. So it's a really nice dive if people are looking for a little bit, uh, a little bit more information. Did, did Ted approve the Tim talks? Ted who? <laughs> yeah. the, uh, it, what, what I love about models that work and stand the test of time is that they exist before they exist in your life before you knew they existed. So the purpose-driven PMO, like I'm not a, a, a certified ProSci person. I don't know ADCAR in and out. But when you're talking about it, right, purpose-driven PMO, the description we give for that is knowing the why before the what and the how. And the way you just described it was people jump straight to knowledge, right? They, they want to go to the knowledge without the upfront work. And I think that's where ProSci is such a hold on a captive audience because when you go through and get the training to take what you already knew and put it into a model and a discipline, it's so easy to connect to, right? It's, it's such a, uh, it's so common. I, I hate to, to use that language cause I'm not trying to diminish it, but right. No, no. It fits um, into just how we live. But I, and I'll come back. I a hundred percent agree. And I'll come back with common sense, not common practice. 
Absolutely. Because, human, right, what we've done is described the human nature, the human journey of change in a way that makes it accessible and actionable in a way that we can support people through. Um, And so it does feel like common sense. You know, I heard this description of creativity as when you see something and you're just like, wow, I've never thought of it that way. And there's no other way to think about it than that way. Like, of course, right? It's stunningly unsurprising and you've never seen it that way before. And I think ADCAR sometimes gives people that, well, of course, this is how people navigate change. Look at that time. I missed ability. Watch that. You know, people can begin to tell their own stories and experiences of change into the ADCAR model. And I think the power of it, you know, we call it a simple yet powerful tool. Because mm-hmm. some things that are valuable at uh, first pass are only valuable at first pass, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, then our CEO, his name is Scott McAllister. He came out of a strategy lean Six Sigma consulting world. And he said, Tim, you know, ADCAR is one of those things that the more I learn it, the deeper and more powerful it gets. So now we're doing full on ADCAR force field analysis, you know, so we're integrating ADCAR and Kurt Lewin's force fields. We'll do ADCAR milestone mapping. So you take a big project you're running. We start to lay out who are the impacted groups. And for each of those impacted groups, we start milestone mapping each of their ad card milestones. So we've built a roadmap of how each group is going to have to navigate this change, right? Um, I've started building out ad card as a platform. Mm-hmm. How can you actually take gamification and see how it helps us make sense of people's ad card journeys? I've done ad card and design thinking in a really beautiful way. So in the end, organizations don't change, people do. Yeah, absolutely. Projects create adoption challenges and only create value if we can figure out how to help people over those adoption challenges. And so that's the kicker is how do you give people an accessible way to make these challenges of change unlockable in front of them? Uh, With a a name like Puzz, I've had lots of uh, fun times in my life where people have mispronounced that name. So that's why I'm PMO Joe now. So people don't have to struggle over that. And I've heard Many different pronunciations of ProSci. Where does that name come from and why didn't they call the company ADCAR, right? Or, or something a little more easy to, to pronounce. Is there a history behind the, the ProSci name? Yeah, there actually is a history. Um, Jeff was uh, researching how to name companies when he uh, was coming up with the name of ProSci. And he stumbled across the notion, maybe a bit of research, a finding here or there, that if people mispronounce your name, they're more likely to remember it. Hmm. And so there was a bit of intentionality around picking a name people would struggle to pronounce. Uh, it actually comes from a contraction of the words professional and science. Okay. So professional and science pulled together gives you pro-sci, uh, but we do get called prosky uh, probably yeah. more than anything else, <laughs> uh, especially in Eastern Europe. So. I would imagine so, yeah. Well, Tim, this has been awesome, right? I It's been a, a great education session for me, but... But in a way that I think, again, uh, you, you mentioned simplification of it, right? I think it's so easy for all of us to understand. And in the project space, uh, for those who run projects, boy, we, we've seen it. We know the difference of a good project and we know the difference of good change management. Uh, hopefully, we've provided some education to the listeners today to get them to say, okay, how can I get better at it? How can I maybe formalize it and take it into a discipline? So certainly thanks, Tim, for uh, for helping out with all that. And before we sign off, I, I want to give you an opportunity. How can folks get uh, in touch with you? Is there anything that 
you have coming up. You did mention uh, some events you've got coming up, but anything you want to share before we, we sign off today? Yeah, uh, Joe, really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Uh, these live ones are always kind of fun, right? Because mm-hmm. you never know which way they're going to go. But I really appreciated the time here. I think you're right. I, uh, my hope is that we've given the listeners uh, some of those keys to start to unlock the challenges of change. And these frameworks that help us describe our reality in a way that we can influence, I think, is one of those kickers. Because the people side of change will always be there, whether we tend to it or not. So... ProSci.com is the best place to start. There are loads of free resources there, articles, thought leadership articles, uh, blogs. Um, There's countless uh, recorded webinars available for replay for free, including a whole one hour about integrating change management and project management. So ProSci.com is the place to go. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm the most active uh, and often late in the evening. And sometimes the bourbon-inspired stuff is a little (laughs) more fun than the midday stuff. And then if you're on YouTube, find the ProSci channel and those Tim Talks. Uh, There's a great one called Back to the Basics, a great one about ADCAR, and then some that go even beyond that around organizational agility as a strategic imperative for organizations going forward uh, and how we can all invest in growing the most important muscle we can grow, which is how to navigate change more successfully. Awesome. Thanks so much, uh, Tim. I really appreciate it today. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners. Please be sure to go out and visit projectmanagementofficehours.com. See of all of our uh, past shows and our upcoming guests, which include Marissa Silva, Ricardo Vargas. Uh, and then we're going to bring on some guests from PMI and TrackVIA to talk citizen developer and that new program that they're working on. That'll be an interesting show as well. Also, a reminder, uh, as Tim mentioned, we are live right now, which is always fun. We've had a couple of shows go completely off the rails because of that. Uh, but we also release the shows as a podcast. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice may be. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Please be sure to go out to their websites and learn more about what they offer. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success. 